All right, here we go. The pastor says, He is risen. And you respond? Amen. You know, that little phrase, He is risen indeed, captures the hopes, dreams, fears, and destiny of all mankind. Both past and present. Last week we covered the uh, unbelievable series of events God pulled off at the entrance into Jerusalem, which of course was followed by then the Last Supper, followed by the trial, followed by the crucifixion, followed then by the resurrection. On Friday and Saturday night, we had a tremendous opportunity here to uh, uh, Phil Wagner and his family. I want to thank them again. They did such a fantastic job. Yeah, super deal. But uh, we had the opportunity to see how the Seder, the, the Passover meal, uh, foreshadowed and predicted Jesus as the Messiah and his death as the Passover lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And today we celebrate his resurrection from the dead. And so the question we left off that last week on Palm Sunday was, did you like the plot twist? Right? We talked about it as the greatest plot twist in the history of the world. And the odds are very good if you're here this morning. The answer is yes, that you, you do. Um, but obviously, um, you wouldn't be here if you didn't. In the book of James, we've been looking at the book of James, and we'll jump back into that next week uh, as we get started. Uh, we've been talking about the cosmos, or that's another word for the world or the world system that opposes God. And I think it's fair to say that most of the world, most of the cosmos that you deal with, that I deal with, that we go through, that we walk with on a day-to-day basis, um, and our culture uh, doesn't like the plot twist of Palm Sunday, Good Friday, and Easter one little bit. Right? It's not their favorite story. Jesus as the way to the Father, Jesus as the only way to God, is an, an immense stumbling block. And the great thing to know about all this is that the contention is not new. It goes back to the beginning. Uh, the time was A.D. 100. And there was a man by the name of Justin Martyr, one of the early fathers of the Christian faith. And he was defending the Christian faith before the Roman emperor. And uh, Arthur Rob Bennett in his book, Four Witnesses, describes this and talking about Justin's rhetoric and what he adopted at the time for the conversation. He said, the most serious and common objection, the single greatest stumbling block for pagan academics, uh, and this was during the era that Justin was making his defense, uh, was, it seems, Christianity's exclusivity. It's claimed to be the one true religion, the one sure way to God established by God. And the question at that time was, were Christians really saying that the whole world had been stumbling hopelessly in the dark until a mere 100 years ago? Now they're saying this 2,000 years ago, right? Put that in context. Would a man not have to commit something like intellectual suicide to do that? And that's what it looks like to a lot of people, is that we are people who have checked our brains at the door. We have bought into some very foolish mythologies and things that science has long since cast away. And really, they're saying, what and Pete is wrong with you? Why can't you see it the way we see it? Here's a... Atheists, if you want to see how it looks to them, I went to a website called um, uh, Atheist Quotes Against Christianity. You can actually look that up. It's on the web. And um, it reads like this. It says, Christianity is the belief that some Jewish zombie can make you live forever 
if you symbolically eat his flesh and drink his blood. And then telepathically tell him you accept him as your master so he can remove an evil force from your soul that is present in humanity because a rib woman was convinced by a talking snake to eat from a magical tree. Right? Leaves quite a favorable impression, doesn't it? But the reaction to Jesus and his erection goes, goes far beyond that. Uh, here's another quote. It's not just nonsensical, but it's actually portrayed as dangerous. Okay, can we go to the next slide, guys? There we go. Thank you. It says, from my point of view, I would ban religion completely, even though there are some wonderful things about it. The reality is that organized religion doesn't seem to work. It turns people into hateful lemmings and is not really compassionate. Elton John. And you can find lots of quotes like this on the internet. They're all over the place. It's loaded. Uh, it doesn't stop there. It goes even farther than that from just why do we even have this to we should get rid of this. It's really actually quite evil. Uh, here's the modern take. Some of you may have heard of Christopher Hitchens. Uh, he wrote a book entitled God with a small g. God is not great. How religion poisons everything. And he says this. We keep on being told that religion, whatever its imperfections, at least instills morality. On every side, there is conclusive evidence that the contrary is the case and that faith causes people to be more mean, more selfish, and perhaps above all, more stupid. Kids in class will say, you're not supposed to say stupid. Right? Right? And with Richard Dawkins and that debate and the New Atheist, you, you know how that rages in our culture right now. Now, of course, there's always the opposite side of the coin. There are places where their rhetoric can be attacked and exposed also. Here would be a humorous take on the atheist view of reality. The atheist view of reality is the belief that there was nothing and nothing happened to nothing and then nothing magically exploded for no reason, creating everything. And then a bunch of everything magically rearranges itself for some reason so that whatever, uh, so whatever into self-replicating bits which turned into dinosaurs. You know, the more scientists are discovering about our universe, the more the mysteries unfold themselves. Not just on the macro, which is the big picture, the universal level, but also on the micro, the small picture, the molecular level. The sheer weight of the evidence for organized design, and thus the argument for an organized designer, is gaining uh, more and more momentum and traction. And so we have, as it were, these two opposing viewpoints that you get exposed to, that you wrestle as we gather to celebrate this Resurrection Sunday. And it really has to do with your perception filters. Perception filters are the filters through which you see reality. Um, we think we all see it the same, but the truth is uh, our backgrounds, our contexts, our histories all shape it so that we see it quite different. So, for example, I grew up on a small rural dairy farm in Wisconsin. And so I see things a certain way. If we were to take you back to Wisconsin, you would go, oh, he's really not that weird. There's a whole bunch of them. Okay. They all see it that way, Right. And in your context, your background, you have certain slants or perspectives that you are absolutely sure are rock-solid gold that you look at and go, that's the way it is. And then you talk to somebody else and you go, you're kidding. I never thought of that. Are you serious? You really see it that way? And it, it rocks 
kind of rocks your world because you didn't realize that. If we took like several of us and just walked out the double doors and went out and said, what do you see? Some of us would be really locked into uh, the sky. The, look at the trees. It's spring. They're blue. Oh, it's such a cool time of year. It's light out. Look, it's getting warmer, right? We'd be all into that. And some of us would go, oh, look. Look at all the people, and they're going into elevated sports, and they got pre- must be birthday parties, right? Wow, that's really cool. And some of us would look at the cars, cool truck, right? And some of us would look at the buildings and go, wow, look at the architect. That's why did they do that? You know, Trippy would be into that. So, and that color. So when we get together and talk, we think we all saw the same thing, but actually, because our emphasis was on different points, we actually saw it quite differently. So when it comes to the faith issue. Perception filters are critical. It's not only what the evidence is, which that's important, but it's how you see the evidence. In other words, how you are looking at it. The bias that you come from makes a huge difference in how you see reality. Let me show you what I mean by this. I I found this last week um, uh, as I was preparing for this morning's message, and it brilliantly picks how you can look at the exact same thing use the same words, and come out with a completely different take on the same material. So this is called an atheist view on life. I'll get it up there, right? And it reads like this. I will live my life according to these beliefs. God does not exist. It is foolish to think that there is a God with a cosmic plan. That an all-powerful God brings redemption and healing into the pain and suffering of the world is a comforting thought. However, it is only wishful thinking. People can do as they please without eternal consequences. The idea that I am deserving of hell because of sin is a lie meant to make me a slave to those in power. The more you have, the happier you'll be. Our existence has no grand meaning or purpose. In a world with no God, there is freedom to be who I want to be. But with God, everything's fine. It's ridiculous to think that I am lost and in need of saving. Now, let's take that exact same language, only we're going to read it from the bottom up backwards. Here's the Christian view of life. I am lost and in need of saving. It is ridiculous to think that everything is fine. But with God, there is freedom to be who I want to be. In a world with no God, our existence has no grand meaning or purpose. The more you have, the happier you will be. Is a lie meant to make me a slave to those in power. Because of sin, I'm deserving of hell. And the idea that people can do as they please without eternal consequences is only wishful thinking. It is a comforting thought however, that an all-powerful God brings redemption and healing into the pain and suffering of the world. That there is a God with a cosmic plan. It is foolish to think that God does not exist, and I will live my life according to these beliefs. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, isn't that amazing? I didn't create that, by the way. Well, I would like to take credit for it, but whoever came up with that is genius. See, what I'm trying to point out this morning is this. It really matters what lens you're looking through when it comes to looking at God's message about His Son. Uh, We were talking about perspective, just how real this is. So I told you about Christopher Hitchin, who's an avowed atheist. His brother Peter is an avowed Christian, right? 
a born-again evangelical Christian. And, and they have debated each other from opposite sides of the fence. They're two brothers. And they're on opposite sides of the divide in terms of how they see reality. The Apostle Paul actually contends for the gospel with this very situation in mind in 1 Corinthians. And, of course, being April Fool's Day, right? You did know that, right? And, um, and it's just way too obvious and way too good to pass up. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, or it'll be up on the screen as well. Follow along, uh, however you do it. But Paul says this, for the message of the cross, in other words, the, the gospel that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and rose again from the dead, is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the intelligence of the intelligence I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you go, yes, yes. But we have to recognize it's absolute foolishness to other people. I mean, have you ever heard somebody parrot back the message to you? Uh, Matt Chandler is a, a pretty well-known pastor, and he's done great stuff. And he did this really hilarious. We're going to show you the clip, but it, it didn't come out really well, and it, it was all grainy. So I'll try to recreate it. I can't do it near as well as him, but you can look him up on YouTube and find it. But he goes, have you ever heard somebody parrot back to you what you just told them? So, like, let me, okay, let me get this straight. God, well, yes, three, one, three, yeah, but God, all of God, uh, came down virgin, baby, became all God, but became man. And then, and then he died on the cross, and then they buried him, right? And then three days later, he rose again. Then, okay, now, I'm sure this is right, right? Then he's going to ascend to heaven. Then he's going to come back on a white horse and take all of us with him. Yep, you want to come along? <laughs> right, when you, when you say that, you kind of go, boy, it does sound kind of foolish, right? And there was a time in our lives when that sounded equally strange. It was a weird story. It was something we heard, but it really didn't impact us or um, change us. But then Paul goes on to say this in the next part of 1 Corinthians. He says, For since the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know Him. Paul's saying through all the stuff that we have exercised with our brains here on this planet, we missed it. We did not come to know Him. God then was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Paul says they're looking for different things. So Jews always look for miracles, right? They came out of the Exodus. They had the authenticating miracles that told them that God really backed this up. And they recount those miracles. In the Seder service last night, we dipped in the wine and, and 
put ten dots for the ten different plagues to remind us what those plagues, those miraculous plagues were that God had used during that time. And so when they came to Jesus, what was their very first question of Jesus? What miracle do you do to back this up? He says, I don't do any miracle for you. And they say, well, okay, then we don't believe in you. Right? Because for a Jewish person, no miracle, no God. Right? And that's how they treated it. For our world, the, the Greeks, the, we want wisdom. We want rationality. We want analytically. We want to be able to piece it all together. And how does the mechanics work? And if I can't figure out the Legos, I'm not building the tower. Okay? And so it doesn't make rational sense, is what we would say with our culture. And Paul says, so Jews demand signs. Greeks look for wisdom. He says, but we preach a completely different message. Christ crucified. And what Paul is saying is this. Paul is saying, look, God is sending his message through a special filter. And that filter is looking for people who are looking for a relationship with God. It's not so much the filter you have to be concerned with as the fact that this is the filter God has chosen. Do you accept the message as he's intended it with the way it's sent? And those who love God respond to that message and that filter. Christ crucified makes total sense. I am a sinner. I've done bad things. Even if I'm a great person, I know I can't cover it. I know I can't cover it right now. I need somebody to rescue me. I don't know how to rescue. I don't know how to get out of this. And that makes sense. It does. He can free me from the debt of sin that I cannot pay. And so he says, we preach Christ crucified to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. And so the message is this. Christ was crucified and risen again for our salvation. Crucified for our sins and risen as Savior for our salvation from those sins. And it's all based on faith in this Jesus that one, we can be saved. And Paul lays this out in Romans 10. He says it this way. But the righteousness based on faith. So this is the lens of faith. Not the lens of miracles, not the lens of wisdom, but the lens of faith. Seeing it through what God has done. It says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That means he's way up there. How can we ever reach that? We can't get there. Who's going to bring him down? Or who will descend into the abyss? It's like the bottom of the sea. How do you get down there? It's so far. Who's going to bring Christ up? But what does it say? The word is near you. In other words, God is talking to people. God's been whispering to them. God's wooing them. He's bumping them. It says, the word is near you. It's in your mouth and it's in your heart. That is the word of faith that we're proclaiming. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord, we talk about what we believe, right? We talk about what we're into. We talk about what is important to us. And as justified, so he says, um, sorry here, I lost my place. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. You won't be embarrassed. He's not going to make fun of you. He's not going to set you up to trap door you and go, ha, 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 gotcha. Okay? 
not going to put anyone who calls out to him, is, is not going to put him to shame. He says, for there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a 100% guarantee. There's no misses in that. Whoever calls on the Lord, whoever believes in his heart that Jesus died on the cross and rose again from the dead and calls out to God will be saved. So let's stop for a moment. Here's the question on the table. Is there anyone here this morning that needs to call on the name of the Lord? It's Easter Sunday. It's Resurrection Sunday. Does anybody need to avail themselves of the power of that resurrection that we were singing about on the songs up on the screen? Maybe He's been drawing you, wooing you. You've been weighing the the pluses and minuses in your mind and you know He's been asking you to let Him in. To let Him take over your life. Maybe you're here precisely because you felt that pull to bend the knee and confess Jesus as Savior and Lord. And, and maybe you've been doing as the world says, like we said in that little saying, people can do as they please without eternal consequences, but you've suddenly discovered there are consequences and you can't control them. And you feel the weight of sin dragging you, hanging on you, and now actually claiming to you that you can't escape it, that there's no way out. And your fear is is rising internally, even though nobody else would really know about it. Or maybe you're on the other side of the coin. You're content. You like where you are. You know that you're doing some wrong stuff, but really, you're not going to stop because you enjoy it. Right? It's kind of fun. And you're really not ready to give it up. You know that you're separated from Christ, but... Nothing to worry about. I mean, hell couldn't really be real, right? That's an old fable. And certainly it couldn't happen to you, could it? You're smart enough. You can figure the system out. You can beat the system. But in spite of all this, you're feeling this bump, this urge to move, to take a step. It's been welling up inside of you and begging you for a response, the response to call out in Jesus' name and have your sins forgiven. But you're procrastinating. Such an easy thing for us to do. Figuring you're smart enough, like I said, to beat the system. Friend, don't be deceived. Scripture says today, if you hear His voice, don't harden your heart. What that means is there's a season, there's a time He'll woo you. There's a time He's going to come to you. There's a season that He's going to draw. But then if that season goes away, it may not come back again. You might not be able to find Him. And says, so if you know He's drawing you, don't harden your heart. And so I'm going to actually stop for a minute and we're going to pray. But before we pray, we're going to do something. What day better to come to Jesus as Christ and Savior than Resurrection Sunday? Wouldn't that make sense? The very day He accomplished all the things that we can do it, why not do it on that day? Let His resurrection become your resurrection. As we're going to see in James, as we get a little farther in the book, faith requires action. It can't just be words. It can't just be intellectual assent. There has to be a commitment move. I'm looking at Mike and Kayla. They are planning on getting married. 
And that isn't just going to be words. In two weeks, they're going to actually have to take the steps, right? And those of us who've done that know what that's like. You actually have to commit for a lifetime. <laughs> right? Whoa, that's heavy. Yes, it is. That's exactly what Jesus is asking for. So I'm going to ask you to do something this morning that may actually be quite scary, but will free you up from the fear of man and will release you to the fear and awe of God and be very freeing for you all at the same time. If you would wish to ask Jesus into your life as Lord and Savior this morning, I'm going to ask that you stand this morning as a symbol of your desire to do just that. You're going, what? Yes, stand. I'm going to ask you to stand. Because somewhere in this life, you're going to have to either have to confess Christ or discredit Christ. You might as well learn to do it now. You might as well learn to do it now because you're going to face a lot of pressure in life. You're going to have to learn to stand. And so this morning, I'm going to ask you if that is where you are to stand. And so the question this morning, is there anybody that wishes to do that? Is there anybody that wants to stand and confess, confess Christ as Savior and Lord as we look across the auditorium? We had someone stand in first service. One person. Imagine the courage that took. Yeah, one person. Thank you, David. My buddy David. Anybody else? David, would you stay standing, please? I'm going to pray for you. Anybody else besides David? Would you join me in prayer this morning? Yes, thank you. Tommy. All right, let's pray. Father, you're doing something this morning. We can sense it. It's moving through the room. It's in the worship. It's in the songs. And these two stood. They heard your voice very clearly. They know you've asked. The door's been open. And they have acknowledged you. Lord, we'll follow up with them. But what a significant morning to have people respond to your offer. Not miracles although you do miracles all the time, not wisdom, although you're the wisest person in the universe, but through the message of your gospel, Lord, that's so incredibly powerful. We ask that you would protect these guys. We ask that you would um, be with them, that they would sense a freeing inside of themselves of whatever's been holding them back with you, and they would sense a new era and a new day, and we ask this in your name. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Give these guys a hand again. Thank you. That took guts. Thank you. All right. So I had it prepared, whether anybody stood or not, to say that whenever, whether anybody responded or not, we are not ashamed of the gospel message. In Romans chapter 1, if we can flip that up there, Greg. Thanks so much. It says this, for I am, Paul's writing again in Romans, says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, for as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. God is calling people out by faith. He's calling us to live by faith. He's calling us to live in a resurrection mode, a surrender mode to Him, and a surrender mode in every day where we walk with Him. From God's perspective, His power is through the message. He's looking for those who understand and see the message and they see Him and go, got it! It isn't the way I would have wrote it. Probably isn't the way I would have done it. 
But you know what? That's the way God's done it. That's good enough for him. It's good enough for me. I'm going to walk in his message. And the point is, is that it's done for us through his son. And it's for everybody. You know, our culture, uh, I'm sure this won't be a surprise to you. uh, They think they've invented inclusiveness. Right? The way if you watch TV and listen, they think they've come up with the phrase. And I want to suggest to you that God was inclusive long before they ever dreamed of being inclusive. All right? It's, it, God is actually amazingly inclusive when you think about it. Anybody can come. For those near and far away, those up or down the social scale ladder, for those whether they look right or wrong, for those who've done right, or especially for those who've done wrong. All who've done wrong are invited to be included. Jesus invites and he says this, Come, follow me, and I will give you rest. John and the team here are going to lead us in worship this morning, but I want to uh, wrap this up with a very historic affirmation of the Christian faith. It's called the Apostles' Creed. It's basically the gospel in a nutshell. I want to give you one little explanation. In here you'll see it says Catholic Church, and it'll be Catholic Church small c. Catholic Church small c means the universal church of Jesus. and That means everybody he's found, everybody he's saved are part of that Catholic Church. We're not talking about Catholic Church capital C, that if you say this prayer, you all become Catholics this morning, okay? We're not saying it that way. So think small c, not big c, all right? But I'm going to ask you to stand this morning. And with that explanation, would you follow me? Let's, let's read this together. Church, say this to him. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again, He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and He will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen.